gonna be finishing up our postcards series today. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I was teaching on Philemon, and last week, Neil Montgomery was talking about, uh, he preached from 3 John, really sharing these, uh, these habits of leaders, good leaders who go bad. And so today, we're going to be uh, looking at Jude's letter to this first century church. And I was thinking about um, maybe kicking off this sermon in Jude with a quick rendition of the Beatles' Hey Jude. I thought that would be appropriate, so the, ba- the band's gone, so I can't do that. But I was ready to do it. Actually, what might be more appropriate would be Led Zeppelin's The Song Remains the Same. Because essentially, you know, if we, if we lived back in the day where Jude was writing this letter to the church that he was writing it to, if we lived then, if we witnessed what was going on in the churches, uh, we would see uh, really these churches that were under constant attack. There were worldly philosophies, different uh, doctrines and teachings, and maybe people who were divisive, uh, and maybe living worldly lifestyles, they were, they were threatening the health and the very vitality and, and the, uh, the life of the church. And in a very real way, what's going on, what was going on back then is also going on today. So Jude is a very relevant postcard, if you will, to the church in 2016. So I'm excited to, to teach from it today. So let's get in. Hey, this is a big letter. I'm not going to read it. It's 25 verses. And so we're going to just kind of march through it chunk by chunk, and, uh, and I think it'll be good to do it that way because there's a lot of stuff. There's so much theology in here. There's so much history that we can't even get into all of it. Again, we're really trying to get at the big message of Jude, but I'm excited to do that. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Jude. It's the book right before Revelation, uh, so almost at the end of your Bible. Or if you don't have a Bible or you just don't want to, you can always look up at the screen and trust that we have typed them up there correctly for you. So let's, uh, let's get going. <clears throat> First of all, this is from, of course, Jude. Back then you started your letters with uh, your name up front. So he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Uh, he's writing to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So Jude is writing to the church here. He says, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I, first of all, I love this introduction. All right, Jude starts. He's like, hey, it's me, Jude. I'm writing to all you beloved Christians about, out there. What I wanted to do was write to you this nice, soft, sweet letter about our common salvation. That's what I wanted to do. But what I need to do is I need to write to you to tell you guys to get serious, right, to, to fight for the faith so you don't screw up the Christian message, so you don't screw up what it means to have real faith and pass it on to future generations, right? This, this faith has been delivered to you once and for all. Don't be changing it. Don't be perverting it and twisting it. So Jude, what he's basically doing, he's saying, hey, I need you to fight for the faith. I need you to contend. I need you to fight for what is real. Sometimes we, we have to fight, right? Jude is saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to give you both barrels tonight, folks. Right? I'm, I'm going to give you everything I got because this is an important matter. Okay, so what's going on? Why, why the need to fight? Let's look at the problem going on here in the church. Jude says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who, listen to this, they pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. That's pretty serious stuff there, right? He's not saying, hey, there's some minor doctrinal issues going on in there. You know, there's some people who are, there's some church traditions. Some of you guys like to practice this. Some of you guys like to do this. No, he's saying at, at, the, 
at the heart of this, this division is the gospel, right? These people are, are perverting the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the fact that we can be saved by God's grace through faith in Christ and not by works, right, but purely by God's grace. They're, they're twisting and they're perverting this truth somehow. How are they doing that? Essentially, these, these folks are coming in and they're preaching what we might call a gospel of licentiousness, okay? And it goes something like this, okay, follow me, follow the logic here. And it makes sense, kind of, to a point, right? Okay, God has, God has forgiven me. We'd say, true, yes, God has forgiven me, and, and he will always forgive me. Also true, right? My next sin, the next sin I commit will be what? Forgiven, right? So all three, so almost all heresies, almost all false teaching are based on some elements of truth, and this is all true stuff, right? But here's where it gets a little squirrely. So these guys would conclude, okay, so if my next sin is forgiven, right, then it doesn't really matter if I sin. So now I really can live any way I want. You see where it got a little sideways there. These guys are, they're perverting the grace of God. As Christians under grace, they were like, they were like the Christian version of James Bond, right? They had this license to sin. Bond has a license to kill, right? I can do this with no consequences. They, they, that's how they saw it, and it, it's kind of like they had their, you maybe have heard, the get-out-of-jail-free card, right? Their fire insurance. This is what Dallas Willard calls, um, uh, what, is, uh, what are those things called? Barcode Christianity, right? As long as you're, uh, while you're here on this earth, you got to get the barcode. I'm a Christian. you got to get that on you. And then when you go to those heavenly scanners, right, as if this is how it works, God's just sliding them along, bloop, saved, bloop, saved, bloop, not saved, you know, that's not how it works. So in this world, you could be, a, you could be like take the produce section, right? They got those little barcodes on them. You could take a barcode from a peach and put it on a banana. What do you do? You slide it right through. What does it say? Peach. You're like, that's clearly a banana. But it's saying peach. It's got the barcode, right? So these people were essentially living this way. Hey, it doesn't matter if I'm a banana or I'm a peach. It doesn't matter how what I look like. It doesn't matter what I do. As long as I got that barcode, I'm good to go. I've got the grace of God. So why is, this, why is this such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal that these people just wanted to live any way they want? Why is it a big deal if they sin so much? Well, Jude tells us, essentially, when you have this attitude, right, when we pervert the grace into a license to sin, then we cease to obey Jesus, and ultimately, we're denying that he is our master and Lord. We're denying his rightful place as our Lord. Right? We're denying his rightful authority over us. We're... We are entering into the master's house, and we don't care about his rules. Let's say you had a house, and I needed a house to borrow for a couple weeks. We were doing some work in our house. And so you say, Steve, we're going to be out of town. You can use my house. So I'm like, great, thank you so much. And I come into your house. I'm, it's a total gracious gift by you to me. And I come into your house, you say, hey, Steve, just so you know, we kind of like things a certain way, so if you could just kind of, just generally clean up, and you know, and we, we have allergies, so please no pets or anything like that. And I'm like, yeah, no, you're sure, no problem, no problem, thank you so much. And then I, I just basically, I get like 30 dogs, and they're just running loose in your house, and, and I don't have dogs, but let's just say I just go out and get them because I just want it, because I don't want my dogs messing up my house, but your house I'm cool with. So I got dogs trampling over there. They're leaving their messes and stuff. My kids, who are normally angels, all of a sudden they turn into terrors and they're, they're ripping your drapes down and all this stuff. And you're like, you call me up, hey, Steve, how's it going? Hey, oh, no problem, nothing to worry about. And, 
And you're like, hey, you know, just make sure everything's clean. And, and I'm like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, I'm not really worried about that rule, you know, that you told me that, you know, because this is kind of how I like to live. This is the way we do things in the Erickson house, and I, I'm not really worried about your rules. How would you feel? You'd be ticked. You'd be like, come on, I, I gave you my house, and, and this, is, this is what you're doing to it, right? It's, 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 it's as if we're treating God's house, right? And as if we had no interest in even obeying his rules, but we're happy to take uh, the, the, the room there. What does God think about all this? Jude gives us a little history lesson. And we're not going to get into all of this because there's a lot of history, uh, biblical history here, but let's, uh, we're going to uh, slog through these next uh, tw 12 verses. Uh, in verse 5, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, right, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. As we read these, listen and think to yourself, are these good things or bad things? Do I want these things to happen to me, or do I not want these things to happen to me? Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, the people in Jude's church, uh, relying on their dreams, they, they, they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume, presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people, they blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked, they walked in the way of Cain. They abandoned themselves for the sake of all gain to Balaam's heir, and they perished in Korah's rebellion. And you think, Steve, that's just a lot of stuff that happened, right? But you don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand what's, what his main point is. He's saying, these people are like all of those folks, right? They're like the people who have rebelled against God, and they got, they got their just punishment, right? God knows a thing or two about rebellion. People have been rebelling against him since the beginning of humanity, Right? He knows about this, and he, he has uh, plans. God will judge them severely. So these people, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels who, who fell, they went with Lucifer. Right? They rebelled against him. Uh, Balaam and Korah, these are, these are symbols of people rejecting God's authority and rebelling against him. And the point is, it's not good for them. They're going to face judgment. And he says the same thing is going to be true of these people who have crept into your church. Watch out. They're here among you. In fact, it's a little uh, uh, ominous because he says, hey, you don't even always know who they are. They've crept in among you unnoticed. They're like hidden reefs, he says in verse 12, at your love feast. Love feasts were like a combination of the Lord's Supper and like a potluck, right? So the churches would have these love feasts. So it's biblical to have these fellowship, uh, these, these potlucks and things like that. Those were the love feasts. He says they crept in among you. They're eating among you. They're hanging out. They're going to the D-backs game with you guys. But they believe this stuff. This is their way of living. Watch out, he says. He says they're worthless to the church. Look at these examples. They're, they're, they're like shepherds who feed themselves only. Worthless. The shepherd's purpose is to feed the sheep. They're like waterless clouds. They're fruitless trees in late autumn. They're wild waves of the sea. They're wandering stars. You're supposed to be able to get direction from them, but they're wandering all over the place. They're useless to the church, he says. And then he makes this point that you shouldn't be surprised about this. 
Okay, because the Old Testament prophets had predicted this would happen. He talks about how Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all of the, listen to this, the ungodly of all their deeds, of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. You get the point, these people were what? They were ungodly. And the Old Testament prophets, they were predicting that these guys would come. And also the New Testament, the apostles, they were predicting the same thing. But you must remember, beloved, the, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So let's summarize where we're at. Some people have crept into this church that Jude is writing to. Right? They've come in and basically they're perverting the gospel of grace. They're taking, they're taking God's grace and they're deciding to live any way they want. They've they perverted it into sensuality. Right? I'm going to live the way I want to live. Right? And Jude says, hey, they're just, like, they're just like all those people who've rebelled against God throughout the history of the world. Right? And their fate is going to be the same. And, and this is no surprise. The, the prophets, the apostles, they've been predicting this stuff, these type of people will come in. So please uh, don't follow them. We can't buy into this way of thinking. So let's stop and take a second and look at what we've covered so far. And we're going to really look at two big principles, I think, when we talk about grace that I think Jude is making here. And it's important for us to understand these. The first one we'll call our big idea number one. <clears throat> and that is that God takes his gospel and the purity of his church seriously. Right? We need to understand that God takes... He takes the Christian faith, he takes the gospel message and, and the corresponding purity of his church, he takes that stuff seriously, and so should we. We can disagree about a lot of things as Christians, right? You may have your, your idea of how things are going to work out in the end, the end times, when Jesus returns. We can disagree about some of that stuff, but we can't screw up the gospel. We can't get this wrong. We have to fight, we have to contend for its purity, as Jude says. A gospel that says you, you can deny Jesus as Lord, right? A gospel that says that is, 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 a, is a false gospel. A gospel that says you can, you can trust Jesus but reject his authority is no gospel at all. A gospel that says you can take God's grace and live any way you want and pay no attention to him is misleading. Jude says that path leads to destruction. The Bible is clear. You, you, just, you just don't find that way of thinking anywhere in scriptures. In fact, you find the opposite. God is not mocked, right? That's, that's a mockery of God's grace is basically what Jude is saying. And God's not mocked. He will have justice. So please, Jude's saying, don't play games with God. The Bible's clear. We must, we must confess Jesus as Lord. We must acknowledge Jesus is who he says he is. Now, here's where we need to stop. That doesn't mean we're always going to obey him. Right? That doesn't mean we're always going to obey him. In fact, the scripture says we won't always obey him. Right? But when we try to receive God's grace, and then we turn around to the side, hey, we don't really, it doesn't really matter how I live. We are simply missing the point. And I think this is where some people get it wrong. This is where people, when I have conversations like this with people, this is where they push back. They say, Steve, uh, I mean, you're telling me I have to obey God to be saved? You're telling me I have to live a certain lifestyle of morality to be saved? See, that sounds like works-based salvation. That sounds like legalism. I don't think God's all about that. So, Steve, I think you're wrong on this. I have a friend who, uh, 
a while back, he was going through, uh, sadly, he was going through a divorce. Um, and, and he was wrestling with, so his wife had left him, and he was really wrestling with, am I free to remarry? Because he was thinking through the circumstances of his divorce and how this went. So he's asking the questions. He's looking at the Bible. He's saying, okay, do I have freedom to remarry? Because my wife has left me. And, so, and, and I remember in, these, in the conversations, uh, he was in a small group I was in, some of the other people were weighing in. And, and some of them, you know, they were encouraging, hey, that's great that you're trying to find out what God wants and you're seeking it in, the answers in his word. But some of the people were like, hey, you know, don't, don't worry about that. Don't, don't go there. Just, this, this is your time to get away. Don't, don't get all legal. Don't let people encourage you to be all legalistic. Just follow your heart. God's a God of grace. Like, I heard these things come out of people's mouths. I know people believe it. I felt sad for my friend that he was getting that advice. Now, he was actually diligent, and he did the right thing in the end. He was really looking at God's word. What was God say about my particular situation? And so he sought God's will. But people were giving him opposite direction, opposite wisdom. So I'm concerned about this idea that if you begin to speak about obedience, that if you begin to speak about following God's will and, and, and really trying to obey him with your life, that you'll get labeled like, well, you're judgmental or you're a legalist. This has nothing to do with legalism, right? Legalism is not the same thing as obedience. Legalism is, is a bad thing, right? It involves dependence on rules and, and law as a way to merit favor with God, right? So legalism is me saying, hey, I can't make it to God on my own. I can't be good enough, so I'm going to do all these things, and hopefully God will approve me. And so I make lots of rules and things, and I'll be really good on my best behavior, and he'll have to accept me. That's bad thinking as well. It has nothing to do with Christ's followers trying to faithfully obey him, taking his gospel serious. That's called obedience. And it's a sign of our love and trust in Jesus. This is what the scriptures tell us. So now as we look, and I've sufficiently scared all of you, into sinning, into not sinning, you might be thinking to yourself, man, I'm, this is terrifying. I don't want to go down that path. I don't want to be one of those guys. But I sin, you know, I, I'm, this, is, this is not good. So, so if you're scared to death to ever sin again, relax, because we come to our big idea number two, and that is that the gospel is, is a gospel of grace. It's full of grace, right, because we do sin and we need it, not so that we can sin, you see the difference, right? The gospel is a gospel of grace because we are sinners, not so that we can go be sinners. It shouldn't serve as a motivation to go be a sinner. Paul makes this point, a very similar point, in Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? May it never be. Right? He's like, hey, if grace is so good, I mean, isn't grace good? Wouldn't we all say, God, God's grace is good, we sing about it every week. Well, if it's so good, why don't I go sin more and get more grace? Paul's like, that's ridiculous, he's saying. Like, don't, may it never be. It's the strongest way he could say that. He's saying, don't be an idiot. It doesn't work that way. Let me put it to you another way. We probably should be afraid to sin, but not be afraid that we sinned. Right? They're probably, when we think about sin, sin is an offense against God, right? It, it, it dishonors him, it hurts us, it hurts others, right? So we should have some level of, of fear about sinning. There should be some level, like, we don't want to do that. We should turn away from that because we know what it does. We know it's a bad thing. 
However, when we do sin, we also should know full well that God's grace covers us. His forgiveness is complete. Right? Christ's death has paid the cost for that sin once and for all. We don't need to continually uh, have Christ crucified. He has done it. He has given us forgiveness. That's a finished, settled matter. We have to hold both of those things in tension, like walking a tightrope. And you don't want to fall on either side, because either side trivializes Christ's sacrifice. Right? If you fall to the left and you think to yourself, man, I'm like overly afraid to sin. I'm like neurotic about it. Like, I do not want to go down that path. I do not want to sin. Then what you're doing is you're trivializing Christ's sacrifice. You're saying, hey, his death, his death wasn't enough. It, it can't actually cover me, all those sins. So you begin to marginalize, trivialize Christ's death. If you fall off the other way and you say, you know what, I'm going to sin as much as I want. What you're then saying is you're saying, I don't really need a sacrifice. Right? It doesn't, uh, sin isn't really that big of a deal. In fact, Christ's death wasn't really that big of a deal. Because uh, it's, it's just sin. It's no big deal. But you, now you're saying, oh, Christ's death wasn't that big of a deal. It didn't really help you that much. You can see how both sides can trivialize his sacrifice. You're probably beginning to see that this is a matter of the heart. Consider, just so in case we're not clear, consider two people. Let me give you an example of how this would play out. Person A, she is, um, she recognizes that she's a sinner, and she uh, gives her life to Christ. She says, yeah, you know, I know I'm a whatever, drunkard, I'm, I'm, uh, I just have a lousy, uh, um, I'm, I'm a mean person, I gossip everywhere, I'm unkind, I'm selfish, whatever her sin is, you know, she recognizes, man, I'm that kind of person. She turns to Christ, she says, I don't want to be that way anymore, Jesus, I need you, save me, I need your forgiveness, and she does. She she repents, she confesses Jesus as Lord, comes to him, and then she sins. Next day, next hour, next week, whatever, she sins. And what does she do? That she comes back to the Lord, right? And, and she's saddened by it. She recognizes her sin, and she turns to God and confesses that sin. Says, Lord, I'm sorry. I know I'm forgiven. I'm sorry I did that. I don't want to be that kind of person. Like, I would say that's normal Christianity. That's probably how it should be. That's how we should live. Person B, the person that Jew's talking about, is the type of person who recognizes their sinfulness. Like, yeah, I, I know I'm doing these bad things, but they have no desire really to change from those things. They just try to take God's grace and apply it to their life. And then they sin, right? They do those things inevitably, like we're all going to, and they don't really care. Why should they? Right? God's grace has covered them. You can see well, this, where this can get really perverted in their mind. And again, I think that person is, is exactly who Jude had in mind. So... What do we do? We fight for the faith, Jude says. We need to contend for the faith. And it's not just a theoretical faith, right? This is a personal faith, right? In fact, we are supposed to fight for, you're supposed to fight for your faith. I'm supposed to fight for my faith, contend for it. After he talks about all those ungodly people, he turns to the beloved, right? These are people who he loves. He says, but beloved, verse 20, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. His main command here is in verse 21, is keep yourself in the love of God. Right? It kind of echoes Jesus' words in John 15, that abide in my love, Jesus says. It pictures our total dependence and reliance upon him. Keep yourself in, in God's love, Jude says. You do this by doing three things. He gives you these three participles. That's the main command. He gives you these three corresponding participles. First thing is we build yourself up in faith. So we stay in God's love by building ourselves up in faith. Milton Vincent, in his uh, book, it's a gospel primer, uh, he says this, he says, the best way to build up our faith 
is to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. You think, well, that's weird. I already received the gospel. Why would I preach the gospel to me every day? I'm, I'm a saved. I'm a Christian. No, it means we, we constantly tell ourselves, you know what? Left to my own devices, I would be a wretched sinner. I would be depraved. I needed Jesus in my life. And I still need Jesus in my life. I still am dependent on him. We keep telling ourselves that over and over. Every day we preach that to ourselves. It builds up our trust and dependence and our love for Jesus the more we do that. We also, we pray in the Holy Spirit. See, these false teachers, they were devoid of the Holy Spirit, Jude says. But of course, we have God's Spirit that dwells in us, and we can pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that God's Spirit guides us. It illuminates the Scriptures to us. It leads us, right? It convicts us of sin. See, prayer always shows our dependence on God. Ultimately, prayer is it's not a last gasp of life. Prayer just shows our dependence on God. It says, God, I need you for this. So the more we pray, then the more we're acknowledging what? We need God, our dependence on him. And that's exactly where he wants us. The third thing is we eagerly await our, our eternal inheritance in the kingdom. Right? We are to get excited about heaven. My feeling is most of us put way too much emphasis on this world as compared to the next world. We, we put way too much emphasis here on, on this life and not enough on the next life. So I don't know about you, but waiting is not my thing. I don't like to wait. I don't like to wait in traffic, right? If, I, if I'm in traffic and the line is backed up, you know, I'm, I see like, oh, this is like three or four light changes. I will literally go the opposite way, right, to get around this thing just so I don't have to wait. I'll go a mile out of the way if I have to. You're like, Steve, you're going the wrong way. Yeah, but I'm going. That's the key thing. I'm moving. As long as I don't have to wait, I'm all right. I just don't like waiting. I'm the, I'm the guy that when you go to Costco or any grocery store and you, and you got your cart there, I'm, before I'm even breaking the aisles there, I'm scanning the lines. I'm thinking, okay, that man looks like he's going to be slow. Uh, ooh, that, that, she looks quick on the thing there. And I'm finding which lines are going to get through faster because I don't like to wait in lines. But here's the deal. Waiting, it makes a huge difference, right, what you're waiting for, doesn't it? It depends just on what you're waiting for. Aren't you glad that we, as followers of Christ, are waiting for the mercy of Jesus Christ? That we will experience in the kingdom in, in heaven and not his judgment? Jude says, we, we wait eagerly for that mercy that we will receive from Christ in the kingdom in heaven. So this is Jude's warning. It's to fight for your faith. But the reality is that there are people, you know them, I know them, who have already bought in to this way of thinking, to the way of thinking of these people in, in this church. They think this way. They're planning on using their get-out-of-jail-free card. They think they got that, and they live any way they want. So Jude has a message for us, for them. It's that, hey, you're not only fighting for your faith, you're fighting for others' faith as well. Look what he says, verse 22. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. It's like he's telling the church, hey, do anything you can, right? Save those people out of it, because that, that is a bad path to go down, right? Intervene, tell them to, to start following Christ, 
right? Snatch them, you're snatching them out of the fire, literally, right? I have friends uh, who are in this boat. I know people, uh, and I've known people through my life. I had a lot of friends, particularly like in college and, and post-college, and while I was at Motorola and living uh, in, in, that, in that marketplace world. I don't have as many of these people when I'm a pastor. These type of people don't like to hang around pastors normally. But, but I have a lot of folks who, who, are, who are playing maybe what I'll call just a Sunday Christian, right? They, they think, man, I, I, I prayed that prayer one day, and I have this, this grace that God has given me. I hear it every week. Jamie talks about it. We sing about it. I have that. But, but Monday through Saturday, they live any way they want. And, and they're trusting on that grace that they think they've claimed. They say, hey, it doesn't matter what I do the rest of the time. I've got, I've got the grace of God. You know, I've known my fair share of those Sunday Christians. Maybe you know those folks as well. Maybe you are one of those folks. You think, you know, I've got, I got my Sunday hour. I give that to the Lord. But the rest of the life, that's mine. I do what I want. No one asks questions. I come here and I, I get it all fixed up. And then I go back out and live the way I want. Judas said, hey, that's the wrong way to go. You do not want to go that way. I don't think anyone who truly understands the free grace of God takes sin lightly. And these folks were taking sin lightly. And, and I, don't want, I don't want to take sin lightly. I don't want to take God's grace and abuse it. I don't want you to do that. I don't want your friends to do that. So Jude's contending with us. Hey, fight for the faith. Recognize, folks, that this is serious business. We should hear this message, and sometimes we should squirm a little bit. We should go, man, I, I don't want to be in that boat. I don't want to be one of those people, because it saddens me. I, I have friends that, that I, I really love. I had a, I, my roommate in college, he would, he, would, he would literally tell me, he'd say, hey, Steve, I don't, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's all grace. And I would talk to him about this study, we were, things we were learning in, in the Bible. He's like, you know, I, I don't really get into that anymore. It's just all about God's grace. It's all God's grace. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's about God's grace, but, you, but you're missing something. And I, I was saddened for him. And of course, his, the way his life, the trajectory of his life uh, was, was not good. And I don't think he really understands the grace of God. I want you guys to understand the grace of God. When we take sin seriously in our own lives and the lives of others, it demonstrates we really understand God's grace. We understand what he paid for our forgiveness, for our freedom that we have in him. And I think this is why Jude ends this, and we're going to end our message this morning, with perhaps maybe one of the most famous doxologies in all of Scripture. This one gets used a lot. It's a great close to his letter because it really proclaims how great Jesus is. And, and for me, it's, it's one of the reasons I'm in ministry because I, I just care about what people think about God and how they choose to live their lives centered around him. That stuff matters to me, and it matters to Jude, and I want it to matter to you and to everybody in our church and really everybody. I just think this stuff matters. So Jude ends in this, in this powerful doxology.